now uh, needing to hear from you. And we're so thankful that you have a message for us. It comes out of your book, a God-inspired, God-breathed book that's profitable for us. Sometimes it's profitable just for teaching us, and other times it's profitable because it rebukes us, admonishes us, and, and then it corrects us and puts us on the right path, and, and it equips us so that we might be able to use our hands, our bodies, our minds, or everything about us for your glory and for the edification of one another. So we pray this morning that you would open your word to us in, in the sense that the Spirit of God would freely take it off of the page or off the digital device or just out of our minds and would implant it into our hearts, not into that muscle, but into the core of our being, into, the, into who we are, and, and may it transform us to be more like our great loving Savior in whose name we pray. Amen. So how many of you watch news or listen to news? Really? Hardly any of you? That's a, that, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because I don't watch news and I don't listen to it a lot either. I do read. But, you know, if you watch or listen to news... You don't hear a lot of positive, affirming messages from the mouth of the pundits. In fact, it's, it's kind of filled with angst and, and disagreement and complaining about that person or this group or, right? It's just filled with, ugh. How many of you drive? Yeah. How many of you know that when you're driving around, there is a lot of bad talk going on? Sometimes about the way that you drive. And sometimes maybe out of your mouth, out of the way that other people are driving. You know, we, we live in a world that is filled with harsh speech and and angst, and hatred, and mean-spirited. It's just, it's just a, it's a hard world to live in. And part of the reason that we're experiencing it, I think more than we ever have, even though this problem has been around since Adam and Eve sinned, and part of the reason we've been experiencing it is because of the, uh, the pandemic. I mean, this last year has, has just been stimulating all kinds of bad things, hasn't it? Some, some really good things, opportunities for ministry, uh, you know, some really good things, but a lot of bad things with the pandemic. And even, even saying that, see, I know that some of you would say, there's not, that the pandemic's not even real. Okay, well, I'm just using the diff dictionary definition of pandemic, which is, um, these, this is from the, the source of it. It's widespread, it's prevalent, it's pervasive, it's rife, it's rampant, it's epidemic, it's universal, and it's global. It's pandemic. And, and pandemic, doesn't, the word doesn't really refer to how many people are dying, it's just 
widespread. It's rampant. It's all over the place, and it certainly has been. So we're going to talk about the pandemic today. Actually, not that pandemic. Not the pandemic of COVID or coronavirus. We're actually going to talk about the pandemic of complaining. You know, complaining. We could throw other words out there for that. Grumbling, murmuring, backbiting. There's lots of different words that would be in this group of this kind of action. And it is a pandemic. It's widespread. It's prevalent. It's pervasive. It's worldwide. And it's right in our homes. Right in our cars right where we work, it's, it's just all over the place. So we're going to see this in light of some scripture today. So open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. Many years ago, we were in this passage looking at it, but it, I thought uh, in, in light of this last week, uh, and, and more than last week, for um, quite some time, but particularly this last week with the meeting that we had with the ministry leader, leaders, as well as my own small group that uh, my wife and I are part of, where this kind of thing came up and we were talking through, you know, uh, entangling sins. Why do I keep doing the same thing over and over again? And this is one of those things that is an entangling sin. And it gets done over and over and over again. Like, why don't I put a guard on my mouth? It just slips out. It's what, you know, happens. It just, I can't seem to control my mouth. This is unbiblical and biblical. I mean, God helps us to control our speech. We read in the, in the Psalms a prayer, put a guard over my mouth. And then, then you read James. If a, you know, if a man can control his tongue... It's awesome. No one really can control it and completely, and it's likened to a small spark that lights a forest on fire or a rudder of a gigantic ship that goes afoul, you know. So there's so much in the Scripture about uh, speech, and, and this is one of those passages that talks about complaining. I want you to think through with me just... This is the children of Israel that we're reading about here in Numbers 10 and 11. Numbers 10 and 11, we're going to primarily be in 11. But I want you to think through some of the, the calendar dates with me. Uh, year one, you know, the first Passover was celebrated. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 12, where God res- is rescuing the children of Israel out of Egypt, saving them. From that great oppression, their slavery, and they celebrate the Passover at that time. And they leave, uh, you know, and and they they go to the Red Sea. And, of course, God rescues them once again at the Red Sea, parts it, and they go through and dry ground and and, and then swallows up the, the Egyptian army in the sea. And they are singing praise to God and then... Actually, they just go three days on their journey, and boom, they start complaining. You can read about that in Exodus 15, about the lack of fresh water. And God miraculously 
provides fresh water out of bitter water when Moses throws a log in the, in the water. And that just, you know, had to be God, right? There's no tree that can be thrown in bitter, deadly water and it make it fresh apart from God. So he rescues them again, and they go on and they go to Mount Sinai. You may be familiar with what happens at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments. We're always up there. A whole lot of bad stuff going on down below with creating golden calf and kind of party time. And, you know, it's, it's just a mess. And he comes down and he, he actually breaks the Ten Commandments, grinds them up. And, he, you know, there's a whole lot of discipline going on there. A lot of people die. Well, they are at Mount Sinai for a year. Camp there around Mount Sinai for a year. What are they doing there? Well, they are making the tabernacle. God had given directions to Moses, gave him the pattern, gave him very specific instruction on every piece of it. And learning the laws about sacrifice, all the different types of sacrifice, when they were to be done, what could be sacrificed for and what couldn't be sacrificed. There, there's a whole lot of instruction and growing uh, there at Mount Sinai. And then we come to year two. In, in, in Numbers 1 and verse 1, we read, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of Egypt. And then if you go over to uh, chapter 9, we read in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So they have been at Sinai for a year and God is basically going to say it's time to get going towards the promised land, towards the land that, you know, I had promised to Abraham and his descendants. And then we come to chapter 10, and if you look at verse 11, we read, In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, so the other part was in the first 19 days. This is on the 20th day of the month. The cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And it describes that setting out. And that was it part of the instruction that God had given them while they were at Sinai too. Here's how it's going to work. The, the pillar of cloud that is representative of my presence and glory with you it will move and you follow. Kind of like following Jesus, you know. It'll move, you follow. It settles, you stay. And if it's in the nighttime, it'll be a pillar of fire, same deal. You go where I lead you. And that's what we read here is that in the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, they start their journey. And we read then in verse 33, after it explains the order in which they set out, it says, So they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey. 
And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the Ark was set out, Moses would would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. So after a year in the region of Sinai, building the tabernacle, learning the law, the cloud of the Lord's glory lifted and the people moved out uh, on a journey that should take a couple, two to three weeks. It ends up, as you know, probably, that it takes 40 years. Not because the Lord didn't have a GPS and didn't know how to get to the the land, but because of the sin of Israel, their unbelief in God's giving them the land. This, so this was not a day to be forgotten, the second year, the second month, the 20th of the month. They set out to go to the place that God had promised to give to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and now with Moses and the whole people. So this would not be forgotten. At last, the Israelites were on their way to Canaan. Yahoo! It's kind of like uh, you could compare it to having a vacation date on the calendar. And you're kind of counting it down, right? You know, hey, in three months, we're going to Hawaii. Or in three months, we're going to Arizona. Or three months... We're going to Europe or, you know, we're planning for next year on this. And, and you just kind of are counting the days down and the closer it gets, the more excited you get. And I'm assuming that Moses at least knew the day was drawing near. So it's like finally the day arrives. Or you might think of it as like an engagement period. And you're watching the calendar until the wedding date arrives, right? Finally the day. I mean, the bride gets up and the groom, you know, gets up. It's like, man, I'm going to get married today. Wow. And then it's kind of the children of Israel. The day's the day. And they set out. So with the, the cloud of glory, you know, again, a constant reminder of God's power and presence directing them, and the Ark of the Covenant, which was a constant reminder of God's forgiveness and blessing in front of them. They traveled three days, seeking out a place, and, and, and then it all goes bad. The journey of joy turns to a journey of misery, complaint. So look at chapter 11. Let's read verses 1 through 3 to begin with. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then when the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tabitha because the fire of the Lord burned among them. So the complaints begin. We read that in those three verses. 
In verse 1 where it says, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord, it could be translated this way. Now the people became truly murmurous, an offense to Yahweh's ears. An offense to Yahweh's hearing, uh, ears. I mean, it, it, it didn't quite have the same feel when it says they complained in the hearing of the Lord. I mean, that's what was going on. But it was offensive to Yahweh. It was offensive to the one who said, I'll bring you out of Egypt. I'll save you from your miserable lives there. And I'll bring you into a promised land flowing with milk and honey. And they started complaining about the I am who had made a covenant with them. Yahweh. The God who is. Now, listen, nothing in the first 10 chapters that we read in Numbers would prepare you for, for this. I mean, we've read about uh, the, the offense in Exodus after they, you know, crossed the Red Sea. And, I mean, they were complaining before that when they were still in slavery and the plagues came and it was affecting them. It's like, ah, 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 ah. And then they crossed the Red Sea, and three days into the journey, no fresh water, and they complained. So we've read about it before this, if you're reading through the Old Testament. But you read Numbers 1 through uh, 10, 10, really, or 1 through 9, and you, you just don't get a picture of it being a problem. It's like, in fact, what you read over and over again in those chapters is that they were doing everything that the Lord commanded them. I mean, they were doing everything that the Lord commanded them, exactly as he had commanded them. But only three days into their journey now, the, the people reverted to that disloyal complaining that they had expressed a year earlier when they had come out of Egypt and they got to the bitter water after crossing the Red Sea. And you can read about that in Exodus 15, 22 through 27. I'm not going to read it for you. But the pattern, I think, the pattern of future complaining can be seen here. It's established in this account. I mean, what we see as we read on through the Old Testament with the children of Israel, they, they grumble, they complain, uh, they murmur, and, and the Lord hears it, and his anger is provoked, and then... Moses, in the account of his, during his lifetime, and then later with prophets and, and judges and so on, Moses intercedes, and the judgments halted or at least lightened. So that's the beginning. Now, let, now let's read about the, the complaints increase. That's verses 4 through 10. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong crying or craving, And the people of Israel also wept again, saying, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. And it describes the manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it, and ground it in the handmills, or beat it into mortars, and boiled it in pots, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. 
And Moses heard the people weeping through their clans. Everyone at the door of their tent stopped there. So the, the, the complaints had started, and now it picks up. And, and did you notice that it begins with what is called the rabble? In verse one, uh, in verse four. Now the rabble that was among them. Uh, if, if you're young, most of you aren't, so you'll remember this little phrase: "You rabble rousers." Right? I used to call my kids that every now and then. You rabble rousers. It's kind of, I don't know what rabble actually means. They're running around, bumping into things, or whatever it is. It wasn't a good thing. You're causing some problem here. You rabble rousers. And, and, and here, it doesn't really mean that the rabble is most likely referring to non, non-descendants of Abraham. The, some of the people of Egypt had connected themselves with the children of Israel, had come out with them, or other people that had been slaves. Maybe they connected with them. They've come out. Now, the reason I say that not only because of studying it, but in part, just look at the text itself. Now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And then it says, and the people of Israel also wept. So it's kind of saying these are two different groups, right? The rabble, rousers, and the people of Israel. In any case, it begins with the rabble that was among them. And, and what we see is that they wanted more than they had. That's where it begins. They wanted more than they had. They had this strong craving, like a pregnant woman gets a strong craving for, well, I've never been pregnant, so I've never, you know, gone through that. But I had, you know, my wife told me this last week after her procedure that she had a strong craving for a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. And she, we didn't have one at home, so she wanted, she, you know, wanted something that that she didn't have. But I, I kind of joined in that craving with her. It was really, it was really good. They wanted more than they had, and then we see that they wept over what they lacked. That's what the verse says. And the people of Israel also wept again, which means they had been weeping before this, and in fact. You know, it, it had started out, they were complaining about their misfortunes. We haven't really heard of any misfortunes, as you read through Numbers. But they thought they had misfortunes. They thought they were lacking something. And they wanted more than they had, and then they wept over what they lacked. And then they whined. They whined about what they thought they should have. Again, verse 4, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Where's the meat? You remember those old... Where's the meat? Oh, that we had meat. Now listen, they had come out of Egypt with lots of flocks of sheep and cattle. That's what they sacrificed to the Lord, right? They had to sacrifice, you know, sin offerings and burnt offerings and... Thanksgiving offerings and first, you know, I mean, all kinds of offerings. What were they offering? The sheep that they brought out, the cattle. It had to be, you know, a cow that they offered. 
So what are they talking about? Where's the meat? It's probably the fish. And in fact, you read on in that verse, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. So they whined about, you know, what they thought they should have, which in this case, I think, was a reference to the fish. I like seafood. Anyone else like seafood? I like fresh seafood. My wife and I are pretty particular about that. We don't want fish that's been sitting in the freezer for a long time. We like it fresh. And if we, if we, ha- we happen to go out to dinner like we did with our grandson and his wife here just recently, um, they talked about the fresh fish on the menu is this. It's like, yeah, fresh fish. That's what they want. They, they weren't bringing fish out of the Nile with them in the desert. They had no, no way to keep it, right? Unless it was smoked or salted or something like that. But they wanted the fresh fish uh, that they were used to out of the Nile while they were slaves in Egypt. So what did... What was their whining about? Well, they were wishing for the things of their past. That's, again, verse 5. You know, we remember the fish, and we remember the cucumbers and the melons. I'd like that. As far as I'm concerned, you could keep the leeks and the onions and the garlic off the menu. But I know that a lot of people like those things. And I can tell when I'm around you that you like them. It's leaking out of you. It is. So uh, they're, they're, you know, wishing for the things of their past. They begin to remember how good they had it in Egypt. Isn't that what you're hearing? We had it so good. Fresh fish, fresh vegetables. I mean, it was awesome. And then from wishing for the things of their past, they scorn God's miraculous provision in the present. That's, that's what we read next in verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. What were they weeping about? The manna. You know, the manna, there's, if you see it in verse 6, but now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, what was manna? Well, it's described, it sounds actually pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, like a bread cake. It's got some oil that, you know, flavor to it, sweetness, to coriander seed. I mean, if we were to think of that as like, ah, that's like getting fresh bread at a restaurant, put a little honey or butter on it. It's like, whoo that's awesome. They had a daily supply. Every night, it would come down like dew, and it would cover the ground, and they would go out and gather it. God gave them instructions about it. That was every night they were to do that, except on the Sabbath, but not to worry because the Lord gave them two days supply the day before, and it wouldn't spoil. Now, if they gathered too much on any other day, it would just spoil. So this was a miraculous provision of God every single day. And by the way, it remained that every single day until they set foot in the land of Canaan 40 years later. 
We want what we had in the past. This, this, we're getting tired of this manna. And so what did they do? They scorned God's provision. And, and then that scorn, that complaining, that whining, it, it spread throughout their families. Again, that's, that's verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. You hear that? I mean, it was spreading. And that is the nature of that kind of speech, isn't it? It spreads. It spreads. It's spreading to the tribes, 12 tribes. It's spreading from each tribe into the clans within the tribe. And if you've read the chronologies, genealogies, as you're reading the Old Testament, you realize how many those are. It's just, you know, and from this this person in this tribe it's all these different families and all these different clans and so it's spreading from tribes to clans to every door of a tent i mean it's just going around and around and around and they apparently seem to conclude that if they complained loud enough for long enough they would get what they wanted and in doing this they behaved exactly like poorly trained children, didn't they? You've been around that. Not your kids, if you've had kids. Not yours, certainly. But you've certainly seen it. Kids that whine and complain and complain, and, and they do it loudly, and they do it for a long time because they know that if they do it loud enough, long enough, the parents will give in and give them what they want. And that's what the children of Israel are, are like. God's better than any parent, any earthly parent. He gives us what we need and not necessarily what we want. And, you know, complaining loud enough and long enough isn't going to move God's heart say, well, no, I guess you really do need that. He knows what we need. But from this, we then see the effect of this complaining in verses 10, the second part of verse 10, all the way through 35. And we're just going to, I'm not going to read all of that now. We'll just walk through it together. And the first thing that we see is that God was angered again. We saw it in in verse 1. The Lord heard their complaining and his anger was kindled. Now in verse 10, we read again after it says that, you know, the complaining is happening at the door of a tent and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. The anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And that phrase is something like this. His nose was hot. His nose was hot. Yeah, I get a clear picture of this. Growing up in my family, my dad had quite the nose. And I do too. But I could always tell when I was in hot water because his nose would flare. I always watched his nostrils to know how much trouble I was in and whether I should just shut up in my mouth at a certain time because there was like smoke was starting to come out of his nostrils 
And that's what this is like. God's nostrils were flaring. Smoke is coming out of his nostrils. His anger blazed hotly. Notice the second, the, the second effect. Moses was di- displeased and discouraged. You read on in that verse, the Lord's anger blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. And read on. Moses said to the Lord, well, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? That you should say to me, carry them on in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that uh, I swore to give to their fathers. Where am I going to get meat to give all these people? They weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you'll treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. So God's anger burns hotly. Moses is displeased and clearly discouraged. I mean, the complaints of the people resulted in the anger of on Moses' part, which then led to Moses not just being displeased and discouraged, but he starts complaining. Did, it doesn't say that, but did you hear that? He's complaining to the Lord. And while his complaints came out of his discouragement, the complaints were no better than the children of Israel. Is still complaining against the Lord. And did you notice in his discouragement, just like with the rest of the people of Israel, and in his anger, Moses focused on himself. And that is always true with people who are complaining and murmuring and grumbling as they're focusing on themselves. The children of Israel were doing it. Moses was doing it. And note, as, as you look at that again, how often he refers to himself and, and assumes things that simply were not true. He, he says, God, why'd you put all of this on me? I didn't give birth to these people, but you told me that I basically did. And how am I supposed to provide for them? Why did you tell me I have to provide for them? I mean, they're calling out for meat. Where am I going to get meat? I mean, it's all about him, and he's assuming that God, in fact, put all that burden on him, right? You, you heard that in that, right? Yes, okay. So Mo- Moses thinks, you know, God's given me responsibility for caring for the people, for pro- providing for the people, carrying the people to the promised land. Why did this? He turned from trusting in God to focusing on the burdens that he felt. Were they legitimate burdens that he felt? Well, yeah, they were real, weren't they? They were real. Just as we could say, you know, the children of Israel's feelings were real. I mean, they didn't have fish. They didn't have Leeks and onions and garlic, oh my, and cucumbers and melons. No, they didn't. That was real. That turned into real bad talk and real bad belief. With Moses, especially, he turned from trusting in God to trusting in himself. 
seeing that he had to do it. He became discouraged even to the point of saying, God, just kill me. It would be better than putting up with this. He's not the only one that did this as, you know, a prophet of God. Elijah said the same thing, didn't he? I'm the only one left. Just kill me. Let me eat my meat that you provide, or the meal that you provided by the ravens, and let me die. Oh, wait, there was another one, Jonah. He said the same thing. Three prophets. They were assuming things that were not true. The, the burden was on them, or they lost their trust in God. So his complaints, you know, a result, another effective, is that God appointed help for Moses. We read about that in verses 16 and 17, don't we? The Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And then you can read about it a little bit more towards the end of it in verses 31 through 35. It's the same kind of thing. That's where God actually does that. He takes from the spirit of Moses and puts it on them. And these guys are all prophesying. And there's issues about two guys that hadn't collected with the rest of them. And they're prophesying. Should something be done about that? And like Moses is like, don't worry, be worried about my, you know, don't be worried uh, Joshua about me getting upset or would that everyone would prophesy you know and and we see that good came out of this decision by God to to take from the spirit of Moses and put it on these 70 others right and by the way if you didn't know this is probably where the 70 members of the Sanhedrin the council the Jesus was brought before that's where that number comes from is from this So some good came out of it for the children of Israel. But if you read it about it, the reason it came about was because of Moses no longer trusting in God, but complaining to God because he was assuming too much on himself. And the next effect is Moses actually started to doubt God's ability. Look, look at verse 21 and 22. Moses said, uh, the people among whom I, I am number... The people among who I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat, they, that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and, and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered for them and be it enough for them? What's he doing? He's doubting God, isn't he? God, you said this is what you do. I doubt that you can do it. Listen, that, that's where complaining will take us. It will bring us down to where we show we're really doubting God. We're no longer believing in God like we should. It comes out of that. And then, lastly, we see God gave them what they wanted, but it ended up bringing them sorrow and sickness. I mean, God does give them meat. Look at 18 and following. Say to the people, concentrate yourself for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat, for you, sh- you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, 
who will give us meat to eat, for it was better for us in Egypt. And therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and it becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? And then you read on in 31 through 35, it's it's even worse than that. It doesn't just become loathsome to them. God actually brings a plague upon them while they're eating it. When they first put it in their mouth, it's like, ah, and plague, and people begin to die. So God gave them what they wanted, but it brings sorrow and sickness. So we see the complaints. They begin, they increase, and there's a lot of effect, isn't there? A lot of impact to this problem. And again, I don't want you to sit here and think today, okay, Spencer's preaching this message because he's trying to poke us as a church body about complaining. If I would have intended that, I wouldn't have mentioned Moses and his own complaining, his own doubting of God. This is a message for every one of us in this church body. It's a pervading, it's a pandemic complaining. And what we should clearly see is our complaining is against God. Even though we complain about other people. Whether you're a leader or you're just one of the body. The complaining ultimately is against God. So let's do a takeaway. I've got a few things for you on this that I see clearly for us. That was kind of just looking at Israel, right? Well, the first thing that we should recognize is that God hears and is angered by our complaints. You think it was just with the children of Israel? You know, God only heard their complaints? No. He hears our complaints as well. Was God, is God happy when we complain? He's like, well, you know, kids will be kids. I love my children even when they complain. Well, he does love us even when we complain, but he's angered when we complain. Those, you know, those complaints that we utter under our breath or in whispers with other discontented people are amplified in the hearing of God. So I was writing into that. I was thinking of the series Monk. And I've mentioned before, I bear a little similarity with Mr. Monk and his OCD ways. And some of you do too. But I was thinking of the one, uh, one in particular where Mr. Monk is trying to solve the crime, of course. And they're in a courthouse. And in this courthouse, there's this big open room. And he's standing talking with his helper and the police captain and then a lieutenant. He says, well, let's go over here in the corner and, and so no one will hear us. And they go over in the corner and they're whispering. They're whispering. Everyone else could hear them because they were standing in the whispering corner. <laughs> and they, the, 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 
the sound effect in that room was in that corner. If you said something, it was like it got amplified through the whole building. And I think we can learn from that. We may be talking softly and silently or trying to hide our words from certain people, but feeling free to share them with others. You know, it's like a a blaring thing in the ears of God, an offensive thing. God is aware of our complaining, our grumbling, our murmuring, our backbiting. He's aware of it before they ever, those words ever pass our lips, right? Psalm 139, even before a word is on my tongue, behold the Lord, you know it all together. Second takeaway, we should be very careful about dissing God. I don't hear that, that word used as much as it used to be, but, you know, it would be in the context of us, one athlete talking about another, and, and he says something, it's like, ooh, man, you're really dissing him, aren't you? And dissing, dismissing, talking badly, talking down about a, a person. We should be careful about dissing God. Now, here's the reason why I'm using that. At the heart of the matter with those who complain or grumble or murmur, is a distrust, a distrust in God, a forgetfulness about his forgiveness, his faithful provision, his providence, his promises, a doubting that he will keep his promises. We distrust him. And that leads to some other dis things, discontentment dissatisfaction, disdain. Uh, All we have to eat here is manna and disobedience. We should be careful about dissing God. Number three, when we distrust God's faithfulness to take care of us and we begin to complain, we often wish for the things of our past. You saw it with the children of Israel. Oh, Kind of like to go back to Egypt where I had it so good. And, and I, as I thought through that, I thought how true it is, how we tend to rewrite our history when we're complaining and grumbling and not trusting in God. We tend to rewrite our history so that the past seems much more pleasant and wonderful than it really was. We may even talk about our sins with some delight, Oh, we used to have such a blast. We'd go out and get bombed and, and then, you know, you know, do all kinds of stuff. And it was crazy. We'd talk about it like it was a great thing. When we really know, if we think about it, that those kinds of sin were an offense to God. And, one of, and part of the reason why we deserve God's wrath in our lives. So we tend to rewrite it. But Paul, you know, he's a great writer, isn't he? Yes, he is. Thank you for answering that. He's a great writer. And he writes in Philippians 3, where, by the way, we'll be getting back to in a couple weeks, Philippians chapter 3, after a year's absence. We're getting back there. And in chapter 3, he's like, you know, I used to be all this. I used to be all this religiously. I had all these, you know, high and mighty things about me, a Pharisee, the Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin. You know, I was, a, I was, I was at the top of the heap. You know, I, I was the king of the hill. I was the best of the best. And then I met Christ. 
I realized my past meant nothing. Christ means everything. That's how we should view it. Well, we do tend to do that when we distrust God. Number four, as our attention turns towards the thing of our past, our desire for the things of God will begin to diminish. That's what happened here. They had been forgetting about God's great deliverance of them. And they begin to disdain what God gave them. And we can be that way too. We may begin to disdain what God has given to meet our needs. So I I personally think that we should examine ourselves. We, me, I, us. We should examine ourselves on a continuous basis as to whether we have cravings for the things of our past, which are things of this world, which only brought us sorrow, wretchedness. Instead of being satisfied with God's provisions, I think of what Paul said in Romans 6, He said, what did you profit from the things that you used to be enslaved from? They didn't bring you anything but death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be a slave of righteousness instead. And I think that the the children of Israel's behavior, it's a picture of the longing of the sinful heart, which looks in every direction for things that will bring pleasure with the result of being dissatisfied and disgruntled and disgusted with the provision of God. Number five, those who become dissatisfied with God's provision often share their complaints with others in the hope of adding, you know, weight to their arguments, I guess. You know, we can all do this. We get dissatisfied and we see the spread in Israel and the the spread is, I think, happened across churches in the United States, across the world. It's common for people to search out others who agree with them, believing that the approval of others will justify their beliefs and their behaviors. And I, I wonder how many, how many young people have forsaken the church and abandoned the faith, even if that was only, you know, a surface thing with them. How many of them have left and departed because of the murmuring and the grumbling and the, you know, complaining that they hear within the church fellowship, within their own families, with their parents? And I'm not talking about just recently. I'm talking about ongoing. Number six, Complaints by people of the church often result in the discouragement of God's leader. Well, leaders. You see it in the text, right? Moses got discouraged. I think, you know, if, if it is the church, let me put it broader than that. Leaders get discouraged when those under them complain or grumble. So if it's a church congregation complaining, then it said that the leadership that gets, you know, feels discouraged, gets hurt themselves. If it's those who work for business, it's the owners and the supervisors that feel it. If it's a sports team that is grooming, it's the coaches, the managers 
that get hit, right? They're oftentimes the one that are cast out, fired, because of the players complaining about them. If it's a family setting, it's the parents who get discouraged, isn't it? I mean, it's just the, what is common. It's a takeaway that we should see. Number seven, be careful. God may actually give you what you want. He may give you what you're complaining about. And that wouldn't necessarily be God approving of it. With Israel, it's clear. God gave them meat. They were complaining about a lack of meat. God gave them so much quail that they became sick of it. And if you're not struck by the miracle of God's provision of that, read it again and realize all around that camp, a mile each direction, every direction, the the quail are 36 inch deep on the ground. You say, well, yeah, but that wasn't a miracle. I mean, it was the wind that blew all those quail away from the ocean. Did, did the wind also cause them all to die one mile around the camp? No, this is God's miraculous provision, but his provision becomes a pain for them because of their complaints. And I, and I think that God in his providence and wisdom may actually give us abundance of the very things that we're complaining about or the things that we feel like we're lacking or we're wanting or craving, right? Uh, the covetous may be punished with abundant wealth. I want, I want, I want. Here you go. Find out it won't give you all that. The, the proud may be disciplined by success and flattery. The selfish may be consumed by the amount of uh, possessions they can collect. The sensual may get sick because they are inundated with their sexual promiscuity. And in this way, God inflicts and punishes his people with those things that he knows can never bring what they think. And if we're truly children of God, that's his point. If he gives us what we crave and complain about, it's so that we'll get the message. Only he can provide for us what we need. Number eight, almost at the end here. The the plane is coming down. Okay, The wheels are dropping. So when we become discouraged and complain against God our problems may seem absolutely impossible to overcome. Let me say this again. When we become discouraged and complain against God, our problems may seem impossible to overcome, even in the face of God's promises to us. That's what Moses was doing, wasn't he? He was like, God had told him, I'll provide. I don't believe you will. It's, it's not even possible. What? Did you forget what God told Abraham and Moses? You wrote it. With God, nothing is impossible. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Moses wrote that down. He forgot what God had him write down. How often the things that we complain about 
from you know, coming from discouragement and a disgruntled heart, it, we, we just don't see it possible for things to be recovered or things get where we want them to be. Our problem really is not where things are. It's, it's with our lack of faith in God that he's about, he's able to do what he promises to do. I'll just say in regards to not a church like ABF, but the church, Jesus made it very clear. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He promises that. His church will survive. Question is, do we believe that you will cause us to survive? Is that what he wants? Last one. Belief in God's providence and trust in his promises. That's the ultimate solution to the the pandemic of complaining. And by the way, it's also the path to receive his blessing. So trust in God's providence and his and trust in his promises will keep us from complaining grumbling, murmuring, and it will lead us on the path of his blessing. You know, God's providence in caring for his people, involving his preservation and protection and provision, is is given to us in order to guide us to the place he wants us to end up, right? We can be thankful that in the end, we end up with him in his presence. Well, Lord, we come to you and we are thankful again for your word. It's hard to read sometimes. Sometimes we don't like to read it because maybe we get bored reading it. Sometimes we don't like to read it because it seems so outdated. Sometimes we don't like to read it because it's so detailed about things that we're uninterested in. Sometimes we don't like to read it because it, it is speaking to what's going on in our lives. We, we may initially resist that or rebel against that, but I pray that we would not do that as your people in regards to what you say about the pandemic of complaining. That would be people who would receive this message as being a very positive thing that you want to share with us so that we might be the people that can bring you the greatest glory. While it may be hard to hear because it points out failures, it is is wonderful to hear because it points out who, who you are, how great you are, and what you want to do for your people, us. So we're thankful. Help us respond appropriately to this passage as your people. We ask this in the name of and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.